You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you. You all look so good. Everybody ready to go? Nobody got blew away or blew away, uh, but uh, it's a little windy out there. I didn't want to put the tent out there because I thought something would happen again. So, But uh, I'm excited about Feed 5000. If you're looking at that video, I want to encourage you to be a part of it. Um, um, it is filling up quickly. I will tell you that. Our, our uh, Wednesday night packing, we have two shifts, and shift number two is full already. That means there's at least 150 people that already volunteered for shift number two. So if you're a procrastinator, um, you could probably see a video about everything that happened eventually if you're a procrastinator. But uh, I want to encourage you to jump in and uh, sign up and, and be a part of it. So, hey, we're in this series. It's not all about me. And the reason why we're doing this is we live in this culture that's very self-centered. By nature, we are very self-centered people. Anybody want to confess and say amen? You know what I'm talking about? All right, five of you are in it with me. Um, but that's just our human nature. And I wish I could tell you, when you turn to Jesus, that goes away. And the truth is, it doesn't go away. You just now have Bible verses you can attach to your self-centeredness. Um, but our prayer is we become more of a giving church. Our prayer is we become more of a, a giving follower of Christ, and, and people look at us and see Jesus. And, and that's the prayer, that we learn to walk humbly with God. That's our prayer. So uh, this uh, title of today's message is Let's Get Out of Here, and then there's a line that goes through it, and then it says sticking around, all right? So the, the idea behind this is, and maybe you know someone like this, where, where uh, you, you have the unique ability to be mysteriously absent when there's work to be done, and uh, you're just nowhere to be found, and there's a lot of work to be done, and you're like, well, what happened to Bobby? I thought he was here anywhere. Anybody see him leave? He slipped out. He went through the back door and went over the roof and over the fence, and he's gone, you know, whatever it is. Or you might have the unique ability, when you see there's work to be done, you are the one who leaves about 30 minutes before work, before it shuts down, because you don't want to be stuck Helping out, does that resonate with anyone? And, and so, so there, that's just our self-centeredness. But then there's other people who say, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to finish. I'm going to be a part of everything. I'm not going to run when there's work to be done. I'm not going to sidestep. I'm going to be part of what needs to be done. And some of you are wired like that. And let me thank you because the church is only as strong as the commitments in the church. The church is only as strong as the commitments inside of the church. Um, so this, this message this morning is, is, is about this loyalty, this idea of commitment. And, and, and we live in a world that does not value loyalty very much at all. We're not a very commitment-friendly people. Uh, we like our options to be open, right? I don't want to show... And I think part of that is if I commit, I might lose out to something better. So I'm not going to commit. And, you know, some, for some of us, it's a real moral dilemma. If I were to ask you, are you going to be here next weekend at church? For some of you, are like, I'm not sure what to say because <laughs> I may not, you know, if the Broncos start winning, I may not be here. But, uh, but uh, I thought I'd do a little research on, on this idea of loyalty and commitment. And I, I started off with the workplace. Um, how long does a typical employee stay at a job? Typical employee, what do you think? This is according to the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Any idea? Shout it out. Shout it out. Help me out. Two years, three years. Anyone else? Five. Five? That's really close. 4.6 years. 
That's the average length. I remember when I was doing sales and marketing way back when, um, this was during the days of Y2K. Remember that? Everybody was stocking up on water and milk and all that stuff and Fruit Loops. Um, <coughs> nothing happened. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but there was this idea where you needed to move from one job to another job. And you needed to be moving like every 12 months to 18 months because if you weren't, you weren't growing or you weren't marketable. And there was that kind of mentality kind of thing. Now, if, the, if you are between the age of 25 to 34, the average length of time for you is 3.2 years. 3.2 years and you're, you're jetting. Age 65 and over is 10.3 years. And if you're in a management professional industry, it's 5.5 years. And workers in service occupations are the lowest at 3.2 years. Now check this out for pastors, since I'm talking about all of us, you, and I want to talk about me as well. Tom Rainer did a study on this, and, and, uh, and they, they did research on this, and found that the average pastor tenure is 3.6 years. 3.6 years. There's a lot of reasons behind that. It's really challenging to be a pastor, and spiritually, it's very challenging, and that's why you see a lot of pastors or now insurance agents, or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> the effective pastors average between, they stayed at their place of ministry from 11.2 to 21.6 years. That's the average. If they can stay there between 11.2 to 21.6, that's when they become very influential. Hopefully they have a little bit of wisdom underneath their belt. Worship pastors, this is from an organization called Fruit Group, and they did a study, and the average tenure for a worship pastor is two to three years two to three years. And um, youth pastor, this is a big one. Any idea how long an average youth pastor stays at one church? Anybody? Shout it out. Any? 18 months. Yeah, you were close. 18 months. So give Pastor Nick a kiss when he comes back. And um, incidentally, make sure you say thank you to Marcel and Cindy. They are leading us in worship this weekend uh, as our guest worship leaders, and we appreciate them. This is their ministry. They go around churches all over the all over the state of Colorado and outside of Colorado, just serving the Lord like that. So if you see him in the hall, just say thank you for, for serving God here and tell them we're the best church. So do that. Um, in the typical Protestant congregation, the typical Christian church, check this out, one-third of the people, one-third of the people in the pews or chairs do not have definite plans to continue attending church. One-third. That means, if this is correct, one-third of you may or may not continue at Thorn Creek Church right now, one-third, or may or may not continue at church at all, um, whatever it is. Very little loyalty in our world today. Uh, Rick Warren said this, your commitments can develop you or they can destroy you, but either way, they will define you. Tell me what you're committed to, and I'll tell you what you'll be in 20 years. Because we become whatever we're committed to. Great people are ordinary people who made a commitment to a cause greater than themselves. Greater than themselves. What are you committed to? What are you committed to? You might say, well, I'm committed to my spouse. Or maybe you might say, I'm committed to my children. Or maybe you're committed to yourself, and maybe your decisions are about you. Are you committed to anything outside of your home? Are you committed to anything that would help grow the kingdom of heaven? 
Are you committed to anything, anything like that? My prayer is that that happens today and you make some personal decisions to be a person of commitment, not a sidestepper, not someone who's mysteriously absent, not someone who says other people will do it. But my prayer is that you become this person of commitment. So that's my prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you, God, that you're a God of new beginnings, and we, uh, we worship you this morning. Lord, the truth is we need you. The truth is we are sinners in need of a Savior, and I'm so grateful, God, that you sent your only son, Jesus, into this crazy, broken world. And I'm grateful, Jesus, that you came willingly, and you went to the cross. And I'm so grateful for the empty tomb, and I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit today. Right now, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit works in and through me. Give me strength. Give me boldness. Direct my thoughts and words. May it not be my wisdom, but your wisdom, God. We need, oh, we need to hear a word from you, God, above everything else. And give God permission. Uh, just tell God, God, I need, to, I need to hear from you this morning. Make that your prayer. God's not done with you yet. Make that your prayer. God, speak to me. Right now, I ask you to just turn my heart upside down and do whatever you want. I need a word from you, God. Holy Spirit, have your way here. Holy Spirit, we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's as I thought about this idea of commitment. Um, Committing to the right things is everything. Committing to the right things is everything. Um, I thought about commitment, and the Lord led me to this, to this uh, story, um, and it's, it's involving a woman named Ruth. And maybe you're familiar with this story. You find the book of Ruth, and, and, and this is a remarkable woman, and it's really involving three women, but, but Ruth is the one who commits. Ruth is the one who, who does something that's so unique. So these events occurred between 1160 B.C. and 1100 B.C. This is during uh, a time of judges, and it was a friendly time. And this is a time when, uh, when Israel or Judah and Moab, uh, there was peace between them. And this is important because when you look in the Bible and you read about Moabites, these are people from Moab. If you were from Moab, you were from the wrong side of the tracks, If you lived in Moab, you were not part of God's people. And in fact, Israelites were told, you do not go run with the Moabites. You do not go to any parties with the Moabites. You do not marry Moabites. You do not hang out with Moabites. You don't take vacations in Moab. You stay away from Moab and you stay away from Moabites. And that was God's word to Israel because that was God's people, and, and they're to be holy, and, and they're to walk with them faithfully. So during this time, uh, Ruth uh, kind of appears. There is, a, there is a famine. I'm going to start at Ruth chapter 1. It's a little bit lengthy, guys, but I, I really want us to grasp what's happening here. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 says this, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, so it means there were no kings during these days, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. There it is, leaving Bethlehem, going to Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. How many sons did they have? How many kids did they have? Two. Follow follow me with the story. So notice what pushes them out of Bethlehem. What was it that pushed them out of Bethlehem? What was it? What happened? 
was a famine. That's right, it was a famine. Sometimes God will use famines in our life. Maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's even emotion. Whatever it is, God will use famines in our life to push us a direction. He's wanting to get our attention, and it's all part of God's plan. And in the moment, you may not recognize this famine is God's will, but God will use it for his glory. So now you have this, this husband and his, his wife. And I'm sorry, how many kids did they have go with him? Two kids. All right, verse 2 says this. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. There she is. That's, that's mom. Uh, their two sons were Malin and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So then Elimelech died. That's Naomi's husband. And Naomi was left with her two sons. Now, was that part of the plan? No. I mean, God's plan, but it wasn't. She didn't expect that, certainly. And she's now left with two sons. Verse 4 says, the two sons married Moabite women. Wow. Did you see that? See, everything in Scripture says, don't you run with them? Don't you play with them? Don't you vacation with them or anything like that? But they moved from one place to another. And now the two sons are, are maybe, I don't know, at school or whatever it is. <laughs> but they're looking around and think, gosh, these Moabite women are really hot. And look at those two. And they fall in love with these two Moabite women. And they marry them. So now it's like a blended situation now. And, and now you have these Moabites that are coming over for, for breakfast and lunch and, and dinner and that kind of thing. And, and they're all there. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named, there she is, there she is, she's a Moabite. But about 10 years later, both Malin and Killian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. And what did she inherit? Who did she inherit? Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So she hears, you know what? God's sending the rain in Judah, and maybe it's time for us to leave Moab. Maybe the famine is over. So, so Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. So they're walking back to Judah, and you have Naomi, and you have these two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And they're, they're walking with Naomi. There's not, they're not blood-related. I don't know what your relationship looks like with your, with your in-laws, but that's the situation right here. It's, it's the mother-in-law and the, and the two, the two daughter-in-laws, and, and, and they're walking, and that's what they're doing. And, and verse 8 says, But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. So this is the time when they're grieving. This is the time when they're grieving. And mother-in-law, Naomi, she's not over this. And you see that in the scripture here. She is not over this. And now she's just given a, a get-out-of-jail card to her two daughter-in-laws. She's just given them an out. She's just given them an out. She's just told them, go home to your mother's in Moab. You can leave. I release you. And that's what she's doing right here in verse 8. Verse 9 goes on, she says, may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and, and they all broke down and wept. I think it's important to see that they all broke down and wept, because it, sometimes, you know, I think Orpah gets a little bit of bad press, but Orpah wept right along with, with Naomi and with Ruth. Verse 10, no, they said, we want to go with you to your people. 
It's really interesting that this is part of it. It's kind of like, like when, when you're at a restaurant at Chili's or whatever, and, and someone says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to buy you, let me pick up the tab. And it's like the right thing to do is say, no, let me pick up the tab. And then whoever gives up first, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. <laughs> you get to it. No, 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 I want to I go with you. Let me go with you kind of thing. And, uh, but Naomi replied in verse 11, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? Now, this is really interesting because Naomi is thinking very human-like from with a human perspective, and, and God has a different perspective than, than humans. God sees things different than you do, and sometimes you think things will work out a certain way in your marriage or in your home or your finances, and in your mind, you've already calculated scenarios of how it would work out, and Naomi looks at the situation, and Naomi says, well, look, um, I, I can't, there's no way, you shouldn't come with me because because I, even if I had kids, you guys are way too old, and I can't provide husbands for you anymore. And she's thinking things with a human perspective. God doesn't, God doesn't work like that. God is not defined by your perspective. God is not defined by your perspective. God is not defined by your understanding. And God, God doesn't work like God does beautiful, miraculous, surprising things. In verse 12, it says, No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, I if, and, and were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more... Oh, there's a word right there. Things are far more, what church? Bitter for me than for you. Listen to this, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Do you know, have you ever seen a bitter woman? An angry woman? A bitter man is just as difficult as a bitter woman. Naomi's a bitter woman. She's hurt. She feels like God's against her. She feels like God has marked her. And when you're around a bitter person, they're so negative. They wake up negative. They go to sleep negative. It's hard to be married to, be a, with, to a bitter person. It's hard to be in a friendship with a bitter person. They just walk around with a hard heart, and, and nothing makes them happy. Nothing makes them happy. They're difficult to be around. And it's important for you to understand that's the condition of Naomi's heart. She's a bitter woman, and she's convinced. She said, God himself has raised his fist against me. She, this is personal. And she's like, God took, my, God took my husband. We moved because of this famine thing, and we moved over there. Now God took my husband, and then God took my two sons also, two sons, not one, two sons, took my husband, and she's saying, what am I left with? A couple of Moabite trash women unclean women. Now, they may not be trash, but from a biblical perspective, the reason why God said, I don't want you to be with Moabites is because they were considered to be unclean, unpure, and the Israelites are pure. And, he's, and, and, and that's what they've inherited from them. And, and, and she's looking at this and she's like, Rawdale, Rawdale, God, why did you do this to me? And she spends her days angry at God. She spends her days, no doubt, she's thinking, you know what, I might as well go too. I might as well go too. The things, the people that I love the most 
My husband and my two sons are gone. And I've got these two Moabites. That's her condition. Verse 14, check it out. And again, they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. She's checking out. She's checking out. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And here it is. Let's read this bold out loud. But. Wow. I have this picture. I have this picture of Ruth just like giving a full on bear hug to Naomi. This bitter woman. But Naomi is not the kind of woman that you want to invite to your birthday party or something. You know what I mean? Right at this point in her life. She's not, she's the Debbie Downer. She's the one who's going to show up and she's not going to smile. She's going to make sure everybody knows she's unhappy. Her face, you know, her heart may say Jesus. Her face does not say Jesus. And she's just an angry, bitter person. But Ruth clings to her. There's something inside of Ruth that says, you know what? I'm not going to go back to my old life. She got a little bit of a taste of what a Jewish home is like. She's been hanging out with them. She, she knows Naomi, and she knew her, you know, her husband, obviously, and the, the two boys and, and, the, and the dad, and she got a little taste of that home, and she thought about, I'm not going to go back to Moab. I know what that life is like. I'd rather be with a bitter woman in an Israelite home in Judah than in Moab with my own people. Verse 16, or excuse me, verse 15, she says, Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. See, in Moab, it was known you worship many gods. There's a god of sex. There's a god of fertility. There's a god of, of, of uh, farming and rain and health and all kinds of gods. And, and she said, go back to your gods. You should do the same. And verse 16, but Ruth replied, here comes Ruth, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Look, she's digging in. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wow. You hear that? And this, this Ruth, I mean, she has character. She's like, I'm not going to leave you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And look at this, verse 17. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. You have to imagine this relationship. Naomi's at, she's at her own place. Have you ever been present but not been present? You know, Naomi is mourning, and Naomi is angry at God, and Naomi has a bitter heart. And Naomi right now, she feels like, undoubtedly, she feels like nobody understands her. Nobody knows the depth of her pain. Nobody gets her. And she feels like she's alone on this emotional and spiritual desert island. And she's living by herself. She's alone. And now she's got this shadow named Ruth that's just following her around. It's like, fine, go ahead and come around. But God is against me. Naomi is not happy that Ruth is with her. Naomi is not excited that Ruth says, I'll come along. She's just extra baggage. That's all she is. Makes me wonder, what would have happened if Orpah would have stayed? Let me ask you a question. Who would you be if you committed to the right things? 
What would your life look like if you committed to the right things? What would your life look like if you utterly committed yourself to God? Completely gave yourself to God? What would it look like? How would it look, what would it look like in your, in your life? Would you be serving more? Would you be giving more? Would you be loving more? Would you, what would your life look like if you utterly gave yourself to God? Would you live with anxiety? Would you worry all the time? Would you, how would it affect your heart? Would, you, would your heart be different if you completely gave yourself to God? Would your marriage look different? What would your prayer life look like? What would your church life look like? What would it look like if you completely gave yourself to God? What would it look like? As we talked about this, I decided to, uh, to look at some reasons why people leave the church, because I think that just makes a lot of sense here. They're not clinging to the church. And I, I looked at uh, this guy named Tom Rainer. He's done a lot of research with different organizations, and, and he identified the 10 most common reasons why people leave the church. So I'm going to give them to you so that if you want to leave Thorn Creek, you can give me one of these reasons, okay? One is this. <laughs> I got out of the habit. That's one of the reasons why people leave church. I got out of the habit. You know, they were, maybe it was hunting season, or maybe it was sports, or maybe it was vacations, or maybe it was, you know, one weekend led to another weekend led to another weekend. I just got out of the habit, so I stopped going. Another one is this. I left after I graduated from high school. And you see that a lot. You see students in in youth ministry, and all of a sudden they get into college years and And they just stopped going to church completely. Number three is this. I decided I didn't like the institutional church. You have those people who say, you know what? I really don't care about the institutional church, which is the bride of Christ, flaws and all. Or number four, I was hurt at the church. I was hurt. That's a real thing. That's real personal. When you're hurt at a church, it's very personal. You kind of hit below the belt, and now I'm not going to go to church anymore. I, I just couldn't find a church to meet my needs. You hear that? I had a need and the church didn't meet it. That, that's something people say. Um, I never felt connected in the church. It's really interesting when this is said. Typically, it's said by people who aren't in small groups or anything, but that's what they feel like. I never felt connected. Um, I did not give to the church. I did not give to the church. You know, the, the people, when, when pastors preach about money, you know which people are most offended with that message? People who don't give are most offended when the pastor preaches about money. You know who has no problem with pastors preaching about money? People who give. People who honor God with their tithe. They have no problem with money talk at all. They see it as part of their worship. But money's a big part, and and they just felt like they they didn't give. I left when pastor so-and-so left. That happens too. You become connected with a certain pastor, and that pastor is no longer here, and all of a sudden... Or we moved and never went back to church moved out of state, moved out of the city or whatever it is, and never went back. Um, Carrie Newolf talked about some surprising reasons, and one of them, he says, they move into a new building. Like when we moved from Prairie Hills Elementary School, setting up and tearing down every weekend to this place now right here at Mission Trace, do you know we have a handful of families that have not come and, and come here at this building at all? They like the Prairie Hills Elementary experience. Nothing wrong with that. But that's what they enjoyed, and they, they've not darkened the doors here yet. Um, another thing is uh, the church staff is new or has been changed, or some old programs were stopped, or an exciting new initiative is not that exciting to you. So the pastor is super excited about maybe reaching the lost, or super excited about feeding the hungry, or super excited about you know, winning this neighborhood for Christ, and, and, and someone might be in, in, the, in the pew, so to speak, thinking, 
I don't know. Just not excited about it. Nothing wrong with it, but that's, that's an example right there of why people might, might, leave, might leave the church. Hear this. There are some people who make a living floating from one thing to another, from one place to another, from one person to another, without ever committing. There are some people, it is an art. It is a skill. And they have no problem floating from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. They make their presence known, and there might be people excited, like, oh, you're here, but they're not really here. They're just floating, and they're okay with that, and they've convinced themselves that God is okay with that too. You know, it's really easy to be a Christian when you don't commit to a local church. It is super easy. You know why it's so easy? Easy because you're not accountable to anyone. You're not accountable to anyone. You could say, I'm a Christian, and, and, and you can quote some verses and do whatever you want, but when, when you don't commit to a local church, you don't, have to, you don't have to give. You get to decide where you want to give, when you want to give, how much you want to give. There's no responsibility. Hear this. You want all the benefits, but you don't want any of the responsibility. You want all the benefits, but you don't want any of the responsibility. And there are people who want the rewards of commitment without full commitment. Just step outside a church. There are people who don't commit to their job. Don't commit to a friend. Don't commit to a friendship. Don't commit to trusting someone. Don't commit to a plan. Don't commit to a relationship. Don't commit to volunteering or serving. Don't commit to God. Don't, don't commit. They have learned the art of keeping their options open. They've learned that art. Hear this, some people have learned to have one foot in and one foot out. They aren't fully invested in anything they do. They don't know what it feels like to throw your whole self into God's plan. They are half-committed people. Some people are really good at that. And even in their workplace, they don't give themselves 100% to work. They're not going to go all in. They're not going to get all into this plan or whatever it is. They've learned, I'm always going to say, I'm, I'm just going to halfway commit because I may leave. If I don't like it, I'm gone. If it's inconvenient, I'm gone. If something better comes along, I'm gone. And the greatest people who make the biggest impact in this world are those who make commitments to causes greater than themselves. It's those who make, make commitments to greater cause than, than themselves. Peter Brookshaw said this, Our propensity to quit is no doubt spurred on by a culture of immediacy. This means that as soon as you don't get what you want, when you want, you move on. I'm expecting results now. The results aren't here, so I'm gone. I'm expecting this. I mean, that is the culture we live in. That is our culture of, of, of immediacy. And incidentally, talented people, talented people could camouflage this so well. There's people who are crazy talented, crazy relational skills. They're just gifted, bright minds, beautiful, talented people, but they don't commit. And they hide behind their talent. And you think they're with you, but they're not. 
They're just hiding behind their talent. Let me just say this to you. The church needs you. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them the church needs you. Can you do that? Turn to the person next to you. Just tell them the church needs you. I need everybody to hit us. Turn to the person behind you. Turn to the person behind you and in front of me. And just tell them the church needs you. Can you do that? The church needs you. Tell, tell, tell them over there, Brett. You need, the church needs you. There you go. The church needs you. I shared this a, a few years ago, I think it was. I was in Grand Junction. I was a, at a funeral service. And, a, and a, <clears throat> the guy that I was sitting by me, um, we had mutual friends. And he actually was, was baptized by uh, a church that I know of in Woodland Park outside of Colorado Springs. And I know the pastor there now. And he lives in that area. And he told me, well, now I don't, I don't go to church. You know, I kind of float around. And when I do go to church, I go to the mountains and I look at the leaves and the trees. True story. This is what he tells me. And I'm just looking at him and his wife is standing right by him. And I guess my face, I'm pretty transparent. And and, and she's like, uh, he's, he doesn't buy it. And, <laughs> and I, it's true. I don't buy it. And I, I, I believe if you're a Christian, a true Christian, and if you're committed to Jesus Christ, then you're also in love with the bride of Christ, his church. And if Jesus went to the cross for the church, then we should love the church just as much as Jesus loved the church. And we should be committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. If he's the one who has saved you and redeemed you and ransomed you and walks with you and never leaves you, then and he becomes your all in all, your greatest treasure. And there's nothing greater to live for than for Jesus Christ. That's just what I believe. Anybody with me? You know what I'm talking about? You want to live for Jesus because he's your all in all. And there's nothing greater. And life without him is meaningless. And he becomes my heartbeat. So I just looked at him and I told him, let me just tell you something, brother. And he thought I was going to, I don't know what I was gonna, what he thought I was going to say. But I said, let me just tell you something, brother. The church needs you. I said, it's a battle. It's not a flesh and blood battle. It's a spiritual battle. We have marriages that are falling apart. We have kids that are, and adults, that are struggling with anxiety and, and depression. And, and we have people who are going down dark roads because they feel so alone and, and, and battling illness and, and, and all kinds of battles in their life. And the enemy's gripping people with addictions and all kinds of stuff and, 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 and all kinds of vices. And it's a battle. We need you. We need you desperately. It's a battle. Our life is so short. <clears throat> Look what happened. Verse 14 says, And again they wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth, what? I did a little word study on that word. Because that's Commitment. You know what it means? It means to stick to. It's literally what it means in the, in the original Hebrew. Adhere to. To cling to. To join with. To stay with. To stay in close proximity to. And which yields the noun form for glue. That's what it is. That's what it is. So I thought, <clears throat> I thought what we should do. Um, can I get you to come up here and help me out here, brother? <clears throat> I'm going to ask him to help me out. Tell everyone your name so you know. Brett. This is Brett. <clears throat> so Brett, are you with me? Yep. 
I know you are with me. Like, if we put our hands together, would you be like, like walk with me like all week? Would you do that with sure. me? Seriously, would you do that? All right, so here's what I want to do, because I want to prove this point. I have um, liquid nails here, here right now. And liquid nails, this says this. Anybody know what liquid nails does? It says this forms a strong... <laughs> forms a strong permanent bond. You know, if you put liquid nails like on a piece of board and you put that on the wall and you leave it up there for like an hour, what will happen if you try to pull that piece of board off of that wall, Brett? What will happen? Yeah, the whole wall will come down too. So here you go. Let's go ahead and do this together. <laughs> you can sit down, brother. This is right here. This is the kind of commitment right here that Ruth had with Naomi. This is the kind of commitment that God wants you to have with him. God wants you to be committed to his word. God wants you to be committed to Jesus Christ. God wants you to be committed to reading his word. God wants you to be committed to living the life God has for you. God wants you to be committed to his church. God wants you to be committed. Incidentally, husbands, wives, this word right here you find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be liquid nails right there. That's what it is. Liquid nails right there. God wants you to be committed to the right things. Don't spend your life sidestepping. Don't spend your life being a half-hearted, half-committed person. Don't spend your life feeling like, you know what? I've done all that. I don't need to do that anymore. Or I'm going to keep my options open. You commit yourself to God's plan, God's way, God's will, and you'll become great and do great things for God. And you'll experience freedom that you've never seen before and a peace and a joy that you've never experienced before. And it'll affect everyone in your home. It's liquid nails kinds of commitment. It's this kind of commitment. <clears throat> God will show you something different when you commit to him. God will show you something that you didn't expect when you commit to him. And when you say, God, I'll do whatever you want, he'll show you something. Pastor Jeremy, come on up here. I asked Pastor Jeremy to show me, uh, show, uh, talk about something. In his early days of Thorn Creek, way back, this was when we were at McElwain, I think. Yeah. Was it McElwain Elementary School? We were doing carnivals. Yeah. And you were at Thorn Creek for pretty, pretty early. Like, Maybe a couple of years tops. A yeah. couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, before sure. Pastor Jeremy. It was before just Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, share with him. Yeah, so we, uh, as part of our, our Feed 5000 project, right? Back then it wasn't called Feed 5000. It was just kind of a Thanksgiving thing. And, and we would go feed and it, we were at McElwain. We would do these carnivals. And, um, and I was there to help. Uh, and someone came along and said, hey, I need your, need your help. I said, okay. And they said, can you watch the bounce house? And I wasn't real excited about that, right? <laughs> no one wants to be the bounce house, bouncer, if you will. Uh, but, you know, I said, I, I will go ahead and do this. And, and so I went and, and stood there and policed the kids, and, and they're having fun and everything. And uh, as we're getting near the end of, of the carnival, this little girl's getting out. Her mom comes over. She's gathering her kids. And this girl's putting her shoes back on, and she's having a hard time tying them. Right? So I say, hey, can I, can I help you tie them? And she said, sure. And so I knelt down and I went to tie her shoes and it was this moment that just got me because she had like half a shoelace, right? Like the reason she was having trouble was because she didn't have as much shoelace. And I, it hit me, I'm like, you know, I, ha I have full shoelaces. 
I've been blessed to always have full shoelaces growing up. Um, I've, I've never been in that, that place, but it was, it was this beautiful moment where I got to help this, this girl, and I realized, as God really kind of moved in my heart, that, that I got to be part of what he was doing. I got to be the love of Christ to this girl and not judge her or think anything less of her, and she got to escape uh, some of the, the poverty that she lives in and, and the, the issues of the world that she has to deal with in her family home. She got to jump in that bounce house and I got to be a part of that. And had I just said, oh, you know, let someone else do the bounce house. I'll go, I'll go do something else. I, I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have got to be in God's will for that. So uh, just an amazing time that God spoke to me. And I just walked away from that going, I, I want more of those moments, God. I want to be in the center of your will. And I want to want to do the things that you want to do, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it's, if it's hard or I don't like it. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy, appreciate you. Um, you know what I, I love about his story? I mean, there's a lot of things I love about his story. But first of all, he said yes to the prestigious job of manning a bounce house. And, and I think most of us in this room would probably be like, you know, stepping away from that job. You know what I mean? Is there something else? I don't want to just stand. And it's so loud, and the kids are jumping. And my job is to keep six kids in there, and I got to make sure their heads don't hit each other. And is there something else? But when you say yes to God, God shows you a different perspective and God shows you something that you didn't expect and God directed, God spoke to Pastor Jeremy just like God does <clears throat> and he spoke to him while he was on his knees looking at his shoe. And all of a sudden, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy saw God's goodness in his own life and saw this girl through the eyes of God and it changed him. And now he says, Pastor Jeremy says yes to God. Because he's just, when you say yes to God, God shows you things. When you commit to God, God shows you things. You know why we do, uh, we, why we feed the Renaissance apartment complex on 88th Street? You know how that whole thing started? It was after we were done with the carnivals. We had extra food. We had extra boxes. And we had a U-Haul truck, and we said, let's throw it all in there. Yeah, Toby remembers. He was there. And we said, let's throw it all in there. You, you, you remember that, Toby. And, and we were driving down, and there was this apartment complex that we looked at. Didn't know anything about it. We just looked at it and said, wow, it's pretty run down. We were exhausted. The party has left. This is the after party now. Everybody's gone, and it's just about a handful of us. And we're looking at this apartment complex, and we're thinking, well, let's just go knocking on doors. So we totally trespassed. And we just went around knocking on doors saying, hey, do you want a box? That's how the Renaissance apartment complex started. When you say yes to God, God shows you the after party. For some of you, you know what it's like, you know, like, like to serve God for four consecutive, this, this Christmas Eve, we're doing four Christmas Eve services on a Tuesday. Christmas Eve is on a Tuesday. Christmas Day is on a Wednesday. We're doing four. For some of you, you know what it's like to serve God one time, one service, two, three, four, and to be there hours earlier and to pour yourself out. And at the very end, when it's all done and people have said yes to Jesus and we have worshiped God and we have lifted the name of Jesus and you're physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted from giving your precious Christmas Eve day away, 
And there's some of you that know these two words. Sweet fatigue. That's when whether you've been serving in kids ministry or guest relations and you've given, and you haven't been at home like everyone else eating a ham or a turkey. You haven't been at home like everyone else opening presents. You haven't been bouncing around like everyone else from family to family, from house to house. You've been serving God's house. You've been serving the church. And, and you know what? That sweet fatigue. And let me just tell you, in that moment, you're exhausted and you've been part of something that God is doing. And you know what you're thinking? I wouldn't trade this for the world. I wouldn't trade this for the world. Oh. Wouldn't trade it for the world. You want to experience that? Here's, here's how you do it right here. You commit yourself completely to God, whatever He wants you to do. No way, no more half-hearted commitments. When you keep reading this story, you know what happens to Naomi? You know what happens to her? I'm gonna just read the last verse here, guys. Verse chapter 4, verse 17. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. She has a grandson. <clears throat> Ruth had a baby. Ruth had a baby. She married this guy named Boaz. And she had a baby. And all of a sudden, Naomi has a child in her hands again. This woman who was bitter lost two sons, lost her husband. God has replaced with joy, just like God does. The neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, and here it is, and the grandfather of David. That's King David. It's beautiful. When you look at the lineage of Jesus, and you get to King David, you just need to know his grandmother. Good night. Well, you see, yeah, you see, his grandmother was a Moabite. It's the love of God. God can use anyone he wants. Well, some of you need to bring out the liquid nails. Some of you need to do that. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. And we humble ourselves before you. And right now, if you'd like to receive Jesus into your heart, would you just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for all of my sins, and I turn to you. Others of you, maybe you consider yourself a, a Christian, but maybe you have a, or a good person, but maybe you are the type of person who has one foot in and one foot out and just about everything. Would you say this? God, I want to bring out the liquid nails here. <laughs> I want to commit to you, God, first and foremost. Whatever you want, I want your will. Above all else. I want your purpose. God, I want to commit to your word. I want to read it every day. I want to commit to being the person you desire me to be. Jesus, I want to commit to you. I want to commit to your cause. I want to commit to your church. Have your way here, God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.